land, but amongst brothers and sisters. So God has friends in every city. And I've sure met a lot of friends since I've been here. It's been glorious. This is a very serious time, brothers and sisters. And I'm not talking about serious as abortion and darkness and tyranny upon the land. This is a serious time between God and his people. And uh, I want you to know uh, we have been preparing, taking this time very, very serious before the Lord. Uh, A lot of brokenness, a lot of cries, uh, fasting, uh, and much prayer. And that's just in America. And I know the brethren here have done the same. This particular time, this is the hub, this is the epicenter that created this awakening tour. And, uh, and I, I remember when the brethren first told me this was an awakening tour. You know, I'm just a guy from Texas. How many know you can't artificially produce that? You just can't say awakening tour and poof, we're all awakened. How many know that takes the movement of the spirit of the living God? And one of the major passages that I have prayed for the last several months is Isaiah 64, 1. Rend the heavens, Lord. Come down again. Pour out your Holy Spirit. In fact, Wesley took me today, I guess, to the house, the very house where the prayers for the Ulster revival began. And then he took me to the two churches that had to be built to hold the converts. And I'm like, Lord, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking. That is the great need of this hour. So, brothers and sisters, before I share a little bit of my testimony, I'm going to ask you for something here. And it's not just coming to these meetings, but when you're at home, when you're with your family and with your friends, would you please take advantage of this time? Consecrate some time and some effort and let us call upon the Lord. Let us cry out to him. Amen. Let's see God for a true heaven-sent visit to the land of Ireland. How many desire that for you, for your children, for your grandchildren? How many besides me, you don't want God to give up on us? You don't want him to turn us over to the powers of darkness that are evading Ireland right now. Amen. How many besides me, you want to see a breakthrough? Amen. So I'm I'm just asking you that you take this time and consecrate it to the Lord. Like really take time out of your schedule, get on your knees and cry out to God. This ain't about me. Okay. This is about our king. This is about the advancement of the kingdom of God. This is about God delivering us from evil. Amen. And we need his help. We need his aid. 
Amen. No man, no human being can do this. I don't care how eloquent you are. I don't care about your schooling, your theology, your doctrine. We need the Holy Spirit to fall upon us. And, and once, once again, our hearts burn. Amen. Remember what it said on the road to Emmaus? When he spoke, didn't our hearts burn? Brothers and sisters, when's the last time our hearts burned? When was the last time we wept for souls? When was the last time we wept over the condition of our nation? And I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, I can't, if I could lay hands on you and impart it to you, I'd do it in an instant. But this is between us and the Lord, you as individuals and families. This is the time. We have a window of opportunity. And let's give God our best. How many understand this life is not a dress rehearsal? We got one chance and one chance only to give God our very best. And I believe in God's providence, he has set aside this time. And what I'm asking you, brothers and sisters, please do not spectate. I didn't come to spiritually amuse you. I want to participate with you. I want to join with you. I want to mix my faith with your faith. I want to come into agreement that God might hear from heaven. That he might forgive our sins. And he might do what? Heal the polluted and defiled land that is shed innocent blood. Amen? So I really want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, take this time serious. Call upon his name. So if we could, would you, would we, pastors, okay, we, can, can we just get in just a little bit of circles right here? Can we gather just in a group of four or five? Let's take some time. Let's pray. Let's pray for your nation. Let's pray for one another. Pray for the pastors. Pray for the churches. Amen. Let's gather around. Let's gather in groups. And I know you don't know each other, but that's okay. If you're a Christian, you're in the body of Christ. Let's gather around. Let's seek the Lord. Amen. Let's do this. We're going to take a couple of minutes, brothers and sisters. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for your government. Pray for your nation. Pray for your family. Pray for the churches in Ireland. Let's call upon the name of the Lord. Isaiah 64.1 In the Old Testament, wherever God recorded his name, that's where he bid his people come. One of the things you can start praying right now, God, record your name right here. And by your Holy Spirit, bid your people come. The Spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, in the midst of your people. The one who is still mighty to save Amen. Mighty to save. Amen. And we need that mighty arm. We need that outstretched hand once again, brothers and sisters. And we got to we got to be like Jacob now. Right. We 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 got to be we got to be like that woman with the issue of blood. And she's just busting through the crowd and she's going to get a hold of her Lord. And she ain't letting go until something happens we got to wrestle with God.
We want him to move. We want him to come. Brothers and sisters, this is the time. You need to have your wrestling matches with Almighty God now. Wrestle with him and don't let him go until he blesses Ireland. Do not let him go until he blesses Ireland once again. Amen. This is the time. Father, equip your people. Pour out a spirit of supplication and grace. Bring forth intercession. Bring forth travail. Lord, bring forth whatever we need in this hour. In Jesus' name, that we might touch you in heaven and that you might move here on earth. In Jesus' mighty name, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So my assignment here tonight, brothers and sisters, I have different segments of my testimony, uh, depending on what era of life you want me to talk about. Uh, But for tonight, I was asked to share a brief testimony of how the Lord birthed me into this battle. And tomorrow, God willing, I'm going to share with you how God birthed me into his kingdom. And it's a pretty dramatic story. It's Let's just say I got knocked off my high horse too. And uh, the Lord uh, blasted me out of the mountain. So brothers and sisters, um, I've always been a preacher of righteousness. Since the Lord called me to the ministry, I, I was not a minister that shied away from the burning issues of the day. I didn't play the political game. I didn't play the religious game. If there was national sin, church sin, family sin, my own sin, I just called it the way it was according to the Bible. And, uh, and I was saying from the pulpit, abortion is murder. How many believe that to be true? Here was my problem, brothers and sisters, and this is where the Spirit of God busted me. He's saying, son, you're making a truth claim. You're making a truth claim. You are saying abortion is murder. But here's the problem, son. You're not acting like someone's dying. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, as the church of Jesus Christ, if we make a truth claim and we don't follow through with godly action, how many know our witness can ring just a little bit hollow? And I'm going to tell you, God busted me on my hypocrisy. And how he did it was, remember the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, Lord, you set me up, and guess what? I'm set up. Well, yeah, he set me up. And it was a threefold witness, brothers and sisters. The scripture says, out of the mouth are two or three witnesses. Let it be established. And so my first witness came. Uh, we were doing some campus ministry. I was doing some preaching on a campus. And the campus pastor came up to me and said, Rusty, when you have some time, I want you to look at this videotape. I said, what is it, brother? He says, it's called the Massacre of innocence, the massacre of innocence. I was like, oh, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. And so there was this one evening, and my my wife went to a woman's meeting. I was all alone. It was a VHS, so I'm kind of aging myself here. 
Um, so yeah, I decided, okay, I'll, I'll put in the tape. And, and at first it was like, it was, he done a great job biblically because he traced child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood biblically to the tribes of Moab and Ammon. And that came from the incestuous affair between Lot and his daughters. They were the first tribes to introduce child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. And he traces it from there, and he brought it all the way up to our time, this generation. And it was the second part of the video that, brothers and sisters, I'm just telling you, it was my Isaiah 6 moment. Remember when Isaiah saw the Lord? Right? And, you know, he's the prophet of the Lord. He, he's speaking the words of God. And if you remember, between Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 5, I mean, Isaiah is a woe machine. I mean, woe to you, woe to this guy, woe to that nation, woe to everybody else, and woe, woe, woe. It's just woe. And if you're on a horse, it's like, whoa. But Isaiah 6, he's not going, whoa, 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 whoa. He's going, whoa, whoa. Because I've seen the Lord and I heard. And when I did, I became undone. And brothers and sisters, that's what happened to me. See, up until I saw this video, abortion was a word we debated. It was a, a word we argued about. You know, pro-choice arguments, pro-life rebuttals, and we're back and forth, back and forth, debating, debating, debating. But up until that time, I had never seen an abortion. And all I can tell you, it came to the second part of that video, and it was Pat Benatar, an old female rocker back in the day. And she had this song called, Hell is for Children. And every time she screeched, Hell is for children, Hell is for children, pictures. Of aborted babies. So when I tell you my mental faculties was not ready for this assault, I wasn't ready. And I'm just seeing like severed limbs and decapitated heads, and like blood was everywhere. And I did what any other self respecting Christian minister would do. I turned off the tape. And all I can remember, brothers and sisters, is running to my bedroom, falling prostrate on my face before God. And I'm not talking crying here. I ain't talking weeping. I'm talking a wailing so intense that my physical chest hurt. Like I, there were sounds coming out of me like a wounded animal. My chest was like an accordion. And for the life of me, I could not believe the nation that I love had sunk to this depth of sickness and depravity. 
And so, yeah, I'm undone. And at that moment, God just broke my heart. He opened my eyes to the plight of these children. And, and brothers and sisters, when I say I was clueless, I was clueless. I, I, this, this was not on the radar. This was not a part of my life in my ministry. This was not some goal that I wanted to achieve for God. This totally blindsided me. And it went off in my chest like a nuclear bomb. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. That parents would do this to their own children. This is so evil in the sight of the Lord. Listen, how many believe God is the all-knowing God? That he is the omniscient God. That he has all knowledge. You can't teach him knowledge. He just gives a little bit of away, right? Do you know what the all-knowing, omniscient of God said about child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood? He said, I did not speak it. I did not command it. Neither did it enter my mind. That parents would do this to their children. And it's not because obviously, obviously God knows he has the knowledge of it. But it's so beyond the pale. It's so off the charts of his creative order that he's not going to give any rationality to it whatsoever. And so God comes and breaks me up. And I'm like, okay. And I'm just not one of those guys that could see it. And then walk away and pretend like I didn't see it because I saw it. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm stirred. I'm very much disturbed in my mind. I don't quite know what to do with this. All I know is God broke my heart. So the next week, I'm watching TV. This is the second witness. And uh, I see these bunch of Christians in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Democratic National Convention. And they're sitting at abortion mill doors, having a worship service, praising the Lord, and praying. And I'm watching police officers grab them and drag them away and arrest them and throw them in jail. So the week prior, God busts me up. The next week... I'm watching Christians interpose at the death camp to rescue the preborn. And I'm like, oh my goodness. All right. Okay. What, you know, what's going on here, right? Third week, third witness. I'm at the church. I'm in my office. There's a knock at the door. And this strange man appears to me. Never met him in my life. He says, are you the pastor of this church? I said, yes, sir, I am. He says, we need to talk. I said, okay, what what do you want to talk about? He said, I just got back from Atlanta. I said, "You, you were at Atlanta? He said, yes, pastor, I was. And the tears again just started streaming down my face. Yes, brother, we got to talk. What, what, what mean is this? What, what's happening? And he sat me down. And he said, brother, I'm going to tell you what's happening. 
God is moving amongst his people. See, up until the time of rescue, specifically the evangelical church, was pointing the fingers out there. You know, the problem is the Supreme Court. You know, the problem is the ACLU. The problem is the pro-choice groups. You know the one direction we never pointed it at? And what God did, he granted us the gift of repentance. And it was in a spirit of repentance we stormed the gates of hell. And that's how God recruited me into this battle. And yes, I had to count the cost. And in fact, if God would have told me the cost from the beginning, I might not have gone. But you know, he has a way of hiding things from us. Amen. And thank God he does. So brothers and sisters, I get recruited into this battle. And we storm the gates. Uh, I've been arrested over 50 times. Uh, Beaten, bloodied, shunned, fined, kicked out of churches, homeless, demons attacking me, the government after me, warlocks, witches, death threats, uh, hangman nooses in my backyard, uh, uh, you know, body bags in my van, uh, you name it, we've experienced, I'd walk by places and satanic covenants and they had a picture with, you know, demonic paraphernalia. Around it, I had war, witches who came to my church, tried to seduce me and stuff like that. And they would say stuff like, oh, I want to be your, your wife. I, I want to be your child. I want your power. People don't know how deep these things go. I'm telling you, it's demonic to its core. And so I go on this great adventure ride. Got a prison ministry I always wanted, except I couldn't leave. By the way, we led a lot of prisoners and prison guards to the Lord. And we led judges and lawyers to the Lord. And we led police officers and federal marshals to the Lord. And yes, we even led a reporter to the Lord. She was doing a live, we were doing a live interview. (laughs) And we're ministering the gospel to her. This is on camera. The power of God hits her so hard, she falls against the wall, and she's doing a live interview, and we pick her up, and we lead her right to the Lord, right then and there. A lot of miraculous stuff happened, brothers and sisters, I'm just telling you. So obviously, we're having great impact. Um, The uh, pro-aborts figured they need some help from the federal beast. And so they went to the federal beast and said, you got to shut these these Christians down. They're doing like great damage to us. And literally like hundreds of abortion mills shut down. Thousands and thousands of babies were saved. And a lot of people got birth into the kingdom and added to the church. And we were so effective that they called upon the feds. The first thing they did was charge us with RICO. How's anybody heard of RICO. That's basically, they put Christians who were rescuing children at the abortion mills, they were basically labeling labeling us racketeers. We were the new mafia. We were the gangsters. 
because we were putting the abortion industry out of business. And so that hung over our head for 20 years. Praise be to God. We won that battle and God delivered us out of their hands. Amen. So when that didn't succeed, yeah, give the Lord a handcap. He does deliver his people who obey him. And so that didn't stop us. So then they came up with freedom of access to clinic entrances. Face where they took a misdemeanor charge of trespass and gave us federal penalties. Now, brothers and sisters, we went as far as we could. There's some brothers who I fought this battle. We had four counts of face, which meant it would take me three lifetimes to pay off. And we were facing 10 years in federal prison. And so when the price tag went up, The church abandoned us. And we were sort of like the Apostle Paul. Remember he said, everybody abandoned me, but the Lord stood with me. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, I know that for a truth. I know that for a truth. And so we had to switch tactics because we couldn't find people willing enough to cross that line. And the whole purpose of rescue was to have people at the doors so the ministers and the sidewalk counselors could get the couples away from the death camp to minister the gospel to them and get the help they needed. Well, now we didn't have enough people to do that. So we had to switch tactics. And so we started church at the gates of hell. And so we would go from city to city, state to state. We would work through the local church, and we would encourage the church, hey, the same things you're doing in church, how about the salt come out from the shaker and the light from under the bushel and take the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, amen, and let's bust up this demonic stronghold and set the captive free. And so we would get the prayer warriors, we get the praise and worshipers, we get those preacher boys, and then we get those sidewalk counselors, and it was full court press. Again, the fruit of that labor was a lot of death camps shut down, a lot of babies were spared, and a lot of souls came to Christ. And we have been doing this now for a long, long time, brothers and sisters. The last thing I want to share with you, eventually in this battle, i got to tell you, politically, we could never fight this battle, at least the ministry that I led, because there was so much compromise. Uh, There was so much humanistic pragmatism, reaching across the aisle, making deals with the devil to try to save some lives. So I always fought this battle on the streets and in the culture Because we didn't have solid rock to stand on to fight this battle politically. But God, in his time, he took the principles that we believed in, that we walked by, by we served the Lord by, and we found a way to take those principles and apply it in the political realm. That's when we learned about the doctrine of the lesser majesty. Amen. Now, if you get my book, 
I have a lot of that, those doctrines in the book. But suffice it to say, we finally realize the one government that has God's authority to end this holocaust, it's not the church. Saints, we got keys. We don't carry the sword. And God ordained that sword to be a ministry of justice. So as the church, we are to be concerned about the spiritual welfare of men. The state is supposed to be concerned about the physical welfare of men. In fact, the duty of the state is basically threefold. Restrain evil. Protect life and stop the shedding of innocent blood. And understand this for a surety. March 2020, the sword of civil government in Northern Ireland was captured by the enemy. And it's corrupted. It is perverted. And now they will use that sword to protect those who murder children who are made in the image of God And they already criminalized Christianity, which means if you do not go along with this Holocaust, they're going to punish you. So, brothers and sisters, these are some lessons I've learned along the way. It is in that book, and I I pray you get a hold of it, okay, because I believe it would save you a lot of time, talent, and resources so you could be very, very effective as you move forward to liberate Ireland from blood guiltiness and set the preborn free. Amen? God bless you, saints. I'll see you tomorrow night if you come back. the Lord. God bless you, Pastor Rusty. And yes, he'll be on again tomorrow night. How you get saved. Is that right, Pastor? Well, we'll go as you feel led, okay? But that would be good. And then Sunday morning, Sunday night, he's going to be on. And I told you, you know, you need to put on your your armor when you come and sit under him. He doesn't miss and hit the wall. And you need to put on your big boy and big girl socks and pull them up tight. Uh, because, you know, he, he speaks the truth and he speaks it hard, and that's what we need. Right now, I'm going to ask Pastor Clive Johnson to come up, and Pastor Clive's going to bring a word from the, the Word of the Lord, and let's make him welcome as he comes up. Thank you, Pastor. Wow. How do I follow that? I was uh, thinking as Rusty was speaking, um, really what I'd like to do just for a moment tonight is to bring a word to the church in Ireland from the Lord. And I started thinking about this. So many Christians here, what we want to do is we, we would love to go back to the 20s under the ministry of Nicholson or to the 59 revival that you visited. But you know, I think it's, it's, it's not enough. Billy Graham was once invited to go to an American city 
and all the liberal Protestant preachers got together and they tried to stop him. And the message was, if Billy Graham comes to this city, he will put the Christian message back a hundred years. And they asked Billy Graham for his response. He did not respond very often to, uh, to attacks. But on this occasion, he said he was very, very disappointed. Because he did not want to put the church back 100 years. He wanted to put the church back 2,000 years. And I think if there's a message that the Lord has for me, that is the message tonight. And I'm going to read a few verses from the first earliest record of the Christian church in the book of Acts. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to go to Acts chapter 1, written by Dr. Luke. And if you remember, Luke wrote to Theophilus. Who was Theophilus? We don't know, but the name means one who loves God. So it's to everyone who loves God. And this is what Luke writes. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, for the command of them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up for you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now you know that after this, they waited in the upper room. And in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
the rushing wind, the cloven tongues, the communication gift that God had given to Peter and the apostles, the ability to speak in different languages so that they heard every single thing God wanted them to hear. And I started to think about this. You know, the Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. And I started to think in the early church, comparing it to the church that we have today, just think, no drums, no guitars, no buildings, no Bible colleges, no, no great libraries. You think that everything today that in a sense the church tends to depend upon They were just, according to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, ordinary men, that's what they were. They were untrained, unschooled. They did not go through seminary or Bible college. But what was it that the people saw? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Say it. They recognized that they had being with Jesus. And if I was to say something today, just three things very quickly to you, it would be this. The first thing about the early church was there was an utter, total, complete dependence upon Jesus. They recognized that Jesus was with them. At the end of um, Mark's Gospel, it says... The Lord worked with them. Whenever they were clothed with power and Pentecost, in Acts chapter 5 verse 12, it says that through the hands of the apostles, the Lord Jesus worked. And the testimony of the apostle Paul over and over again was that, that what he had was that he had been crucified with Christ, that Christ lived in him, that he no longer lived. The life he now lived, he lived by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. And it's the same for us. And that's why he says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. But isn't that what Jesus said, friends? John 15 verse 5, apart from me you can do now we know that, we know that mentally, we, we know that, we say that, we pray that, but the difficulty is today that we start to depend upon other things rather than upon Jesus. And my absolute belief is until we realize that all we need is Jesus, Jesus is not just enough, Jesus is more than enough. Until we get to that place as a church in Northern Ireland, believers, until we get to that place where we cast our all upon Christ, we realize that our responsibility, our responsibility is to respond to His ability. Wasn't it Ian Major Thomas who said that all that God has is available to the person who is available to all that God has? And God is looking for a people. God is looking. He's not looking just for the multitudes of people who grace the pews on Sunday mornings 
I was going to say something, pew warmers, but I, I have to be careful what I say. As I get older, I've got, I've got less careful about my speech. But you know, pew warmers, God's not looking for pew warmers. He is looking to me as travelers whose hearts are burning. He's, he's looking for the apostle who is willing to lay down his life for me to live as Christ, to die is. That's it. And until God brings me to that place, and until God brings you to that place, we will not see an awakening that will change the province. And so firstly, they recognized the presence of Jesus. I think secondly, they received the promise of Jesus. We've been singing about it tonight. Dear friends, the Christian life is life in the Spirit, isn't it? And whatever differences we may have, we believe this with all of our life, all of our hearts. We are born again of the Holy Spirit. John 3, the Spirit is like the wind. The wind listeth where it wills. So the Holy Spirit moves where he wills. And you can just hear on the day of Pentecost that rushing wind. There was a preacher who was going to preach on the Holy Spirit as the wind. He thought, who could tell me about the Holy Spirit as the wind? And he went to an old sailor and he said, one of those sailing boats, and he says, tell me about the wind. And the old sailor looked and thought for a moment and he looked at him and he said, you know, I don't know much about the wind, but the one thing I do know is how to set my sails by it. There is a mystery, obviously, about the way God works, how God works, when God works, who God uses, how God uses them. But dear friends, I want to set my seals by the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit comes with tongues of fire. Fire. Fire illuminates, doesn't it? We need fire to illuminate. Fire warms. We need the warmth of God, the compassion of Jesus. Fire energizes. It creates steam. There's so many things that fire does. Fire purifies. We need the fire of God in all those ministries in our lives. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Before Pentecost, they were filled with fear. They were like rabbits. After Pentecost, they were full of the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Only 14 times, as far as I know in the Scriptures, it speaks about the fullness of the Spirit. Four times in the Old Covenant, 10, 10 times in the New. I think I'm right in saying that. Once in the book of Ephesians, the other nine times in the book of Acts. And every time it speaks about the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit, they witness for Jesus. The fullness, the control of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness. And in that, the Holy Spirit moves us to be that witness. But you know, I think there's another ministry of the Spirit. And this week, I've been reminded of it again. And so often, so many have forgotten about it. Sunday evening. 
the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus, Luke chapter 4, is beginning his ministry. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Tempted thrice. Interesting. The social gospel turned the stones into bread. Man cannot live by bread alone. Every word that proceeds from the mouth. Throw yourself down. Look at all the kingdoms. What a temptation. Political power. Social power. Success. Spectacular. Throw yourself down. The angels will hold you. And every time Jesus takes by the Spirit the Word of God and defeats Satan. Immediately he goes to Nazareth. Immediately he goes into the synagogue. Immediately he takes down the scroll of Isaiah the prophet and he's where we have about Isaiah 61. And what does he say? The beginning of his ministry, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has to preach good news to the poor. Recovery of sight to the blind, release for the prisoners, to set the captives free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And his whole ministry, here it is, here it is, anointed by the Spirit. What does the Spirit anointing really mean? I believe that it means God's touch upon your life to do God's work in his kingdom. And whether you're welcoming people at the door, whether you're using your gifts to lead in in worship, whether you're teaching children at Sunday school, whatever you're doing for Jesus, whether whether you're making tea and cakes, every single child of God, whatever God has gifted you for and called you to, God wants you to know the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that whenever the gospel was been taken to the Gentiles, We're in Acts chapter 10, we're in verse 38. Peter is in Cornelius' house. And Cornelius was a devout man. And God's just about to break through. First part of Islam, then Judea, then Samaria, then onto the uttermost parts of the earth. He doesn't get to Europe to Acts 16, to Lydia's conversion and the Philippian jailer. But he meets an Italian in Acts chapter 10. And it's interesting. Peter stands up and he says to him, verse 38, don't you know about Jesus of Nazareth? He was anointed by God and he went about doing good and performing miracles. The Lord Jesus was anointed by God. Do I need an unction? Do I need an anointing? You better believe it. Before a sermon one Sunday morning, the pastor said to the deacon, deacon, would you... Just pray for, before we go into the service, the deacon says, Oh, Lord, unctionize the pastor this morning. The pastor wasn't very happy. He said to the deacon, excuse me, brother, he said, but what did you mean by that prayer? He says, Pastor, I don't know what it means, but whatever it is, you ain't got it. <laughs> whatever it is, Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need it and I want it. And you know, you look at the early church as they recognize the presence of Jesus, the Lord working with them, in them, through them, preceding them. 
as you see them responding, receiving, receiving the power that Jesus promised, responding to the plan that Jesus gave, witnesses, martyrs, the word is martyrs, martyrs for Jesus at home in Jerusalem, Judea, then Samaria. They hated Samaritans, then to the ends of the earth, they hated Gentiles, and God's kingdom begins to flow, and God's work begins to grow. When you get to Acts chapter 2, and we don't have time tonight, but you see that supernatural power of God manifest. We need the supernatural power of God today. You want to ask me what the marks of a New Testament church are? Supernatural power. Rusty said during the week, he was sharing about a Chinese Christian, went to America, went back, and he, I probably haven't got this right, but he ended up by saying, most of what they do in the church, they do without the Holy Spirit. You could do the programs that happen in our churches without the Holy Spirit. So we need, we need the ministry of the Spirit. Interesting, whenever on the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up to preach, there's 26 verses in his sermon. 13 of those verses are direct quotes from Joel 2, Psalm 110, Psalm 16, 13 verses. He then does 11 verses where he explains what those verses mean. And then he does two verses of application. Whenever they're pricked and they say, Brethren, what shall we do? And he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need scriptural preaching. Brother, you have wakened me to realize again that the Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We're not ashamed of the gospel. It's the gospel is the power unto salvation. It's not what we think. It's not human reasoning. It's not logic. It's not the rationale of science, medical or otherwise. That what we need is an anointed preaching of the word that will bring conviction of sin, that will bring repentance, that will bring confession. What a spiritual program. Those who repented were baptized, 3,000. What did they do? They put themselves under the authority of the apostles, teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, prayer, witnessing. That's a tremendous spiritual program. And they were a saved people. Time has gone. You've been so patient tonight. But it would be remiss of me that perhaps I didn't issue you one final invitation. And that invitation tonight is not simply to do with abolishing abortion. This is one of the awful, horrific symptoms of a fallen world. This is, this is Romans chapter 1. What I'm going to invite you to do tonight is to make that commitment, that dedication to Jesus. Whatever God wants in your life, whatever God calls you to do in His service, in His kingdom, for His glory, 
Dear friends, I'm going to ask you tonight, as Rusty has done in terms of prayer, that tonight, the beginning here, right tonight, not tomorrow, not Sunday, not next week or night, but tonight, you will stand right now and say, here I am, Lord. Use me. Fill me. Anoint me. Glorify the name of Jesus through me. If you're willing to do that, stand right now. Thank you. Father, we thank you that tonight has been such a special night. We feel utterly humbled, Lord, as we have listened to Rusty. Dear brother, we feel, Lord, strengthened as we have heard how you have used him, encouraged and blessed. But, oh God, we realize that this will profit us nothing unless we as your children here in this province dedicate and commit ourselves to the cause of Jesus. That, Lord, we love you more than we love anything else or anyone else. That you increase, we decrease. That we seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. And, oh God, we pray that something of that breath, that breath of heaven would come into our lives tonight. We pray that the fire would fall. We pray, oh God, that the dross would be burned up. We pray that we would be illuminated. We pray that we would be energized. We pray, oh God, tonight that something would happen in this place, in our hearts and in our lives, that will count for eternity. God, would you grant this? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you're there tonight on the throne at the right hand of the majesty and high, ever living to make intercession for us. Holy Spirit, present our prayers perfect and grant that tonight in Jesus' name, much would be accomplished for the kingdom. For Christ's sake, amen.